Here at Four Points, we've been going through a series called The Daily Grind. You know what that's about. It's about how to live our faith out every day with all of the things that we face and all the trials that we face and all of the struggles that are wrapped up in what it means to be a human being. Imperfect. You know, sometimes we seek after God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And other times we seek after him kind of halfway. But you know what? God never gives us half. He always gives us everything. And God is here today to be faithful to you in whatever it is that you're going through. So each week we've been going through specific things, specific areas like work, right? Where we live out our faith in the daily grind. And today we're going to talk about marriage. What does it mean for God to be the center of our marriage? And listen, I have this caveat. Not everybody in here is married, okay? It's a godly calling to be single. It's a godly calling to be content wherever he has us, content in him. But you know what? God may be preparing you for marriage, and maybe what's said today is going to help you reach the next level and being prepared for when that day comes. But those of us who are married, we know something about marriage. It's not easy, is it? <laughs> I'm getting a lot of amens on that one. It's not easy, right? I mean, we fall in love with somebody, you know, we meet somebody and we think they're hot and we, we think they're cool and we have everything in common with them and we begin to feel these chemicals and emotions that we're supposed to feel called romantic love. And we fall into romantic love and we get married, you know, with just dreams that everything is going to be perfect and then we get married and we realize that marriage is a lot of work. <laughs> You can say that as much as you want, Glenn. I love it. I love it. Y'all speak to me. You know, being <clears throat> married now for going on 17 years, uh, you know, guys, it has blown me away sometimes. Like, I look back on people that I know. I've been a Christian the whole time. I've been married. You know, I gave my life to Christ, you know, several years before that. But I've seen couples, I thought, man, they're for sure going to stay strong. Like, they're, they're for sure not going to go through struggles, and they do. Or, or, or certainly, you know, that, that couple's not going to have to go through a divorce, but they do. And then I've met couples, man, where, like, I mean, the crap has really hit the fan in their marriage. And I've seen them grow out of that into a, the, one of the healthiest marriages I've ever seen. You know, it doesn't go the way that we expect, but we know that marriage is not easy. And sometimes marriage is not easy for Christians because the church has been really good about drawing lines, and some of those lines are biblical lines, but not very good sometimes at equipping people to have good marriages, not very good at walking alongside people whose marriages are struggling. Right, so today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, like, what does the Bible have to say about marriage? Like, what can the Bible teach us about having a healthy and a happy marriage, a healthier, stronger, and more fulfilling marriage? God has a very specific purpose for marriage. And if you and I are going to understand his purpose for marriage and walk out a healthier, stronger, and more fulfilling marriage, there's a few things we're going to need to understand. So take out your notebooks or your phone. The first thing we need to remember is this. Remember what God designed marriage to be. 
Remember what God designed marriage to be. I'm going to go to a passage, sometimes one that's a little bit controversial, but it gives us a very beautiful picture of marriage. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. There's, there's a misunderstanding of what marriage is, and he's going to bring some clarification. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, before I go any further, I want to stop right there to explain some very important truths that we just got in that one verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you may be asking, what does submit mean? Right? I mean, there's, there, there's terminology. We, I mean, we use submit in the English language to mean all kinds of things. And not all of them are healthy. And so sometimes we read this word submit and we think, what does this mean? What does it mean to submit to one another? Well, submit means this, to put someone else ahead of yourself. To give someone else preference over yourself. This is what it means to submit. The other thing I want us to see here is before we get into what the roles of husbands and wives are in submission is that God made it very clear in this very first verse here to let us know that husbands and wives submit to one another. We submit to one another. Not just in marriage, even in church. Right? I may be your pastor, but really, it's my calling to give you preference over myself. In our friendships. In our relationships with our children. Next week, we're talking about kids, right? But this week, we're talking about marriage. It's what submission means to give your spouse preference over yourself. And husbands and wives are both called to offer submission to one another. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife or leader of the wife, as Christ is head or leader of the church, his body for which he is the Savior. I love this characteristic, like Jesus is the head of the church, right? But, but, but how is he head of the church? He's the church's Savior, He's the, he's, the, he's the one who He's the one who gave himself for his church. This is what characterizes Jesus' leadership of you and I. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Husbands... Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, it's the same example. When it comes to a husband's leadership, the example is Jesus' sacrifice. When it comes to a wife's supportive role of her husband and love for her husband, the picture is Jesus' support and love for us. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, I mean, just like this, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul is referencing back to the book of Genesis. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see, a lot is at stake in marriage. Because God created marriage to be a picture to us and to the rest of the world around us of what his love for us looks like. That's what marriage is for. When wives submit to the servant leadership of their husbands, it's a representation of the way that we all submit to the leadership of Jesus in our lives. And listen, this may seem like a lot of power, fellas. This is where we get all screwed up, man. It's because we don't understand what leadership looks like. Well, Paul tells us what leadership looks like. It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus' leadership. And Jesus' leadership was not about power, but about service. Listen to John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, Jesus was dialed in. He was centered in. He knew why he was there. If ultimately Jesus was here to fulfill God's purpose, if Jesus was looking at the big picture of what he was called to do in giving his life for all of us, then Jesus understood what true leadership was. And because Jesus knew his purpose and he knew what God had called him to, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, Jesus, you're past this. Like, you're the famous preacher, Jesus. Like, your job is to teach. Your job isn't to wash people's feet. But what does Jesus do? Jesus knows that he's a leader. Jesus knows that he's God in the flesh. Jesus is not insecure. Jesus is not trying to impress somebody. But what does Jesus do? He takes off his outer garment so that he's wearing basically just what we would consider to be underclothes. And he takes a towel and he goes around and washes the feet of his followers. And Peter obviously is very confused. You know, don't put this on YouTube, right? Like, Jesus, why would you do this? Our job is to wash your feet, right? Jesus, certainly not. Certainly you're not going to wash my feet, but listen to Jesus' reply. Peter, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Because Peter had not yet come to understand what real leadership looks like. Real leadership is not sticking your chest out, guys. Real leadership is not just telling people you're the boss. 
Sometimes by the time you have to tell everyone you're the boss, you've probably already lost your leadership. Jesus didn't have to tell anyone he was the leader. He just led. And his leadership was in service to those around him. When husbands submit to their wives by loving and valuing them enough to always put their well-being and interests before their own, it's a representation of the way Jesus loves us. Did you hear that? As a husband and father, God made me the leader in my family, but what does that look like? This is where we get confused, guys. We tend to think that being leader means I have to fulfill my calling, but guess what? Husbands, God is calling you to push your wife forward. You're not just responsible for whether or not you fulfill God's calling in your life. You're responsible for the role that you play in helping your wife fulfill God's calling in her life. In fact, God wants you to put her first. And it's the same with children, and we'll get into that next week. If we're going to love each other the way that Jesus loves us, then we're going to have to check some expectations at the door and not bring them into our homes. While staying firm in our convictions, we have to discipline ourselves to see our spouses through the eyes of Jesus. We have to be able to look at our our husband, look at our wives, and see them the way that Jesus sees them without compromising our convictions. Because husbands will not always lead perfectly. And wives will not always honor perfectly. One of my favorite shows, I like a lot of TV shows, and some of them are older shows. Anybody ever seen Everybody Loves Raymond? I love that show. That show is so funny. And one of my favorite episodes is like, Raymond has forgot his anniversary to his wife, and they want to go back and look at the videotape of their wedding just to kind of restir their emotions for one another when she discovers that he has taped over their wedding with a football game. <laughs> I'm like, dang, that dude is on the couch for sure, right? I mean, who would tape over a wedding with a a football game? I I know some Clemson fans might do that, but (laughs) we love our teams, right? But this is just, it's a funny example. It's an extreme example where husbands don't always do the right thing. We don't always lead right. Dare I say, we may even put a football game ahead of spending time with our wives, Choose your poison, right? Football might be yours, but we all have our barriers. We all have the things we struggle with. We all have our idols. But in the same way that Jesus forgives us, we need to be willing to forgive our spouses. In the same way that Jesus gives us opportunities to try again, so should we give opportunities to our spouses to grow and flourish. God has called us to lead. God has called us to honor. God has called us to love. And we are not, we got out of the gate. We just got to say it, guys. Even as Christians in marriage, we are not always going to do that. We are going to make mistakes. But God wants us to see our spouses through his eyes. 
God wants us to offer grace. God wants us to realize that we married an imperfect person. If you're out there waiting for the perfect person, y'all, they would never date you. There are no perfect people. We all make mistakes, which brings us back to the purpose. If that's true, then what is God's purpose? The purpose of marriage is to learn about the love of God. Don't get me wrong. Marriage has benefits. Some of you are looking forward to those benefits. I I love my wife. I feel emotional love for my wife. I feel romantic love for my wife. There are definitely benefits, but guys, the benefits are not why God calls us to marriage. God didn't have to make us get married at all. He's not. He created us in his image. God doesn't have a wife. Why did God have us get married? Why did he have us just choose one person to promise our lives to? Listen, it's because God wants us to learn how to love someone else the way he loves us. And sometimes that's pretty, and sometimes that's easy, and sometimes that's tough. But do you know that it's not an easy thing for Jesus to love you either? How many times do we mistreat him? How many idols do we put in front of him? But he loves us still. And God wants us to know what that's like. Because there's value in it. There's value in love. There's love, there's there's value in faithfulness. There's love in a covenant relationship. And guys, that is the primary reason that we get married, so that it will be tested so that we will have to learn what it looks like to forgive, what it looks like to sacrifice, what it looks like to love the way that he loves us. Not just to feel better, not just to fulfill us. You know, Jerry Maguire, the movie, coined the term, right? You complete me. There's a sense in which our spouses do complete us in the sense that like, My wife has strengths I don't have. I have strengths she doesn't have. We complement one another. But listen, no one can complete you but Jesus. No one can complete you but Jesus. If you walk into marriage waiting for someone to complete you in every way, you will fail. You're putting an expectation on them. They cannot possibly meet. Your spouse is not there to serve you. Your spouse is not there just to make your dreams come true. We get married to learn about the love of God. That's the purpose. God designed marriage to be a place for us to learn, sometimes through trying times, to love another person the way that he loves us. So remember what God designed marriage to be a training ground for us to learn how to love someone else unconditionally. The second thing we need to remember, remember what God made a home to be. Remember what God made a home to be. How many of you know that the world is not safe? 
The world's not safe, and I don't mean just physically. It's not, it's not safe physically either, but emotionally, it's definitely not safe. Everywhere we're being measured upon our performance, aren't we? If you go to work and you don't perform, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get fired. If you go to school and you don't perform, you're going to get bad grades. If you go on that sports team and you don't perform, you're going to be benched or cut, right? We like to think that our friendships are safe, guys, but we've all won and lost friendships, haven't we? Everywhere we go, from the moment we walk outside that door till we lay our heads down at night, guys, we are being evaluated on our performance. People are measuring our value on what we do for them. But God didn't design our homes to be that way. Marriages aren't supposed to be like this. God designed the home to be a shelter from that. God designed marriage to be a shelter from this evaluation And this is what we lose, guys, when we choose to live with someone without being married. Or we choose to live with someone before we're married. Guys, that sounds like a living hell to me. Why would you want to give that much of yourself to someone who hasn't even promised to be with you? Why? Girls, if a guy wants to sleep with you, but he hasn't made the covenant to be your husband, if he hasn't married you, if he hasn't put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, he doesn't deserve that intimacy with you. And guys can be really good at tricking you. Oh, I love you, baby. I'm I'm here with you forever. Tell them to put their money where their mouth is. If you want it, then you better put a ring on it, right? But when we compromise this, guys, we lose the greatest blessing. I'm convinced that Corey does not always approve of my behavior. (laughs) But I know, because she's covenanted before God to be with me forever, that when I walk through the door of that house, I'm not being evaluated on how well I perform today. Our relationship isn't based upon what it's based upon everywhere else in my life. It's a shelter. It's a safe place. And you may say, Phil, my home doesn't feel like that. Okay. Right? I know what that feels like. We've all been there. But listen, I just want you to know what God wants for you. What God wants marriage to do. What God wants a home to be. Home is a place where we're not valued based on our performance. Listen to Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, we don't change people, God does. We don't change people, God does. 
says, one of the reasons God wants you to be in a Christian marriage, if you're not in a Christian marriage, then be the Christian in your marriage. If your spouse isn't a Christian, be Jesus to them. It's never too late. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to stoop to the level of a non-believer. He wants us to rise to the challenge of being Jesus to those around us. But when you're married to a believer, this is the comfort Corey has had for the past 16 years. Is that when Phil's got this area of his life that she doesn't want to be there, or maybe I've got an area in my life where I'm just not acting spiritually mature, Corey doesn't have the burden of changing that in me. God does. And what we found is that God has a way. He has a way of changing us. In fact, he promises to carry his good work to completion. And we can trust in that. Because we don't change people. You're not going to change your spouse. Love them like Jesus loves them. Let God do the changing. Let God do that. He's better at it than you are. He's better at it than me. When Corey and I went on our first date, I remember we went to Olive Garden and then we went to this place called the Chocolate Cafe. And I got the biggest mocha you could buy in this huge bag of chocolate-covered peanuts. Anybody else like those? hey Delicious. Delicious. But I remember sitting at Olive Garden with her and she was like, you know, she, we talked about a bunch of things. She was like, physical fitness, very important to me. You know, I, I really want to, and I, you know what I said? Me too. Me too. She's like, you know, sometimes guys joke about stuff like farts and, you know, potty humor and joking, inappropriate joking. And I'm like, oh, God, I hate that. (laughs) Now, those of you who know me know that couldn't be further from the truth. (laughs) But listen, when we're falling in love, love lies a little. Love, romantic love always lies a little. It's not that we're trying to be liars. It's that when we're with that person, we want to be who they want us to be. Right? When we're, when we're dating somebody, we want, to, we want to be who we wish we were. Right? The problem is once we get married, it's really hard to keep that up. Right? We start to show our true colors. So what happens Do we back up and say, you know what, maybe I made the wrong choice? No. We back up and say, you know what, there's some stuff they're seeing in me that I didn't show them either. And guys, it's not wrong. Love lies a little, but it's it's, it's just, it's what it looks like when you're trying to impress someone. When you're trying to be attractive to someone. We, We just have a way of becoming our best person. But we can't keep that up forever our humanness will begin to show. And fully being yourself is is the most valuable state. Guys, it's when you feel the safest, isn't it? When somebody really knows you and they still choose to be in a relationship with you. Isn't it the friends you have that have been through thick and thin that you value the most? Because you know they know your weaknesses. Everyone else, there's not safety there. You feel like, you know what? If they really knew me, they may not like me. Here's one of the treasures, guys. When we show God's acceptance to our spouses, we also feel it. Grace has a way of, when we show grace to others, it helps us experience grace for ourselves. 
Because in all the ways that our spouse may fall short, so do we. Just in different ways. But if we see each other through the eyes of Jesus, we can make our homes a safe place to truly be ourselves. Not without challenge. It doesn't mean that we don't challenge each other. But we trust God to finish the work. And we choose to love someone despite the ways, the many ways, that they fall short. So we need to remember what a home is meant to be. And lastly, we need to remember who God made you to be. Remember who God made you to be. Remember who God made us to be. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says this, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love that verse. I love the way God puts that to us. He says, since you're loved, and listen, you're not just loved, you're loved like dearly loved children. And since that's the love you receive, since that's who you are, love other people. Show grace to other people. John 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Because of the love we receive from God, we're called to love others. We're called to love everyone around us. We're called to have eyes of grace for everyone around us. But even more, our husbands even more our wives and even more when they disappoint us because we're human beings, guys, and we're learning to love the way that God loves us. This morning, along with these three things, I want to just give some practical advice, just very practical advice to help strengthen your marriage. And this is based upon, you know, I say years of experience. Some of you have been married longer than me. And I'm sure if you were up here, you'd have other things. And there's 10 pieces of advice I want to give you. They're not 10 steps to a healthy marriage because there ain't 10 steps to a healthy marriage. <laughs> but they're 10 pieces of advice from what Phil has learned, okay? The first piece of advice is this, draw near to God and put God first. Guys, if we're going to give to others and love others, we have to constantly be going to that, that, that spring of love that comes from God because the more we experience that, the more full we are to give to other people. And when we put God first in our lives, we're like that cup of water that's just, it's not just full, it's overflowing. And the love can flow out. Make God the center of your marriage. I'm not talking about this in legalistic terms, guys, but listen to me. There's value in praying together. There's value in spending time in the Word together. There's value if even during a commercial break, you just bring up what God's been teaching you and talk about it. Because when God is the center of your marriage, He will be the strength of your marriage too. Number two, make your marriage most important. And I get pushed back on this sometimes, and we can argue about it, but bring your Bible, okay? If we're going to argue on this point, bring your Bible. Listen, when you marry someone, God has called you to make them the most important person in your life. 
the most important, listen to me, more important than your parents. Don't ever let your parents come between you and your spouse. Your parents raised you. They were there for you, but when you leave father and mother and cleave unto your spouse and become one flesh, your spouse takes priority over your family. Family is one of the number one reasons people get divorced. Parents don't do that to your kids. If your kids are having a struggle in their marriage, don't take their side. Ask them if they're connected at church. Ask them if they have Christian friends. Ask them if they have a pastor to speak into their marriage. But don't come between it. This is going to shock some of you too. We'll talk more about this next week. Your marriage needs to be more important than your children. You might think, no, my kids need to be number one. Listen, you can't screw your kids up more than by making them number one. You're going to make an entitled, privileged, selfish person. The world has this crazy idea that kids are born good. No, they're not. We love kids because they're really cute in their way, right? And I think God made them cute so that we would keep them alive. But listen, a baby, like, is the most selfish person in the world. Feed me, burp me, help me sleep. I have gas. I mean, it's like, those of your parents know what I'm talking about. You have to teach your kids how to be selfless. You have to teach your kids how to obey, how to be submissive to others. And it's a joy to train them in that. But listen, your kids will never feel safer than when you put your spouse before them. Because when they see that you love your spouse and that not even they can come between you, they are gonna feel safe. They're gonna feel secure. They're gonna go to school and have confidence. They're gonna come home to mom and dad. Your spouse has to be more important than your children, more important than your career. Listen, compared to your marriage, you can throw your career away. Where are you going to be if all you have is a job? I, I know people like that. It's not a good story. Number three, make money less important. Money is another one of the top three reasons people get divorced. You come into marriage with expectations. I want a house like my parents. I want a car like my parents. I want vacations like my parents. Guys, so many people get divorced early because they're trying to live like they're in retirement and they're just getting started. Hello, your parents worked for years to be able to do that. But your spouse is more important. Don't make money so important. Number four, never look back. When you're going through a trying time in your marriage, don't look back and say, well, maybe I should have, or maybe I could have, or maybe it would have worked out with that chick in high school or that guy, quarterback. I mean, I don't know. Don't look back. God's plan is for you to be where you are right now, being faithful. That's what God has called you to do right now. Just look forward. Don't ever look back. Number five, remember that the grass is always greener over the septic tank. The grass is always greener over the septic tank. I just moved into a house that has one. Boy, that's the patch of grass you just want to lay down on. 
have a picnic. But you know what's underneath, right? Makes you not want to eat there. We, guys, the enemy can tempt us when we're going through the trials of learning how to love someone unconditionally and make our eyes wander. And, and, and dare I say, he's crafty enough to bring people into your life to tempt you. Guys, it's tempting. When your wife is saying, I, I, I'm hurt in these ways, you're going to meet some chick and she's going to say, man, you're wonderful. Why would she ever say that? Oh, when she gets to know you, she'll think the same thing. The grass is never greener. Somewhere else. The grass is greenest right where you are. Because right where you are is growing in your love for people with the love that God has given to you. Don't let the enemy trip you up. You will end up in another relationship with another broken person. And you will have the same problems, maybe most definitely compounded problems. And I'm going to tell you this from experience, guys, because I know people who have left a spouse to be with someone they thought they were better suited for, and I can't think of one happy ending. Just a bunch of miserable people. Number six, weather the storms. Every marriage goes through them. Corey and I have had our storms. We all have them. But knowing that God has called you to them, persevere. Number seven, give 100%. Don't listen to that secular crap about meeting halfway. God has not called you to a 50-50 marriage. God has not called you to live, to give half. He's called you to give everything. And sometimes in your marriage, you might be the only one giving, but persevere. Give 100%. Because in time, God works. And when you're in a marriage where both, both people are giving 100%, when both people are giving preference to one another, there is no better place to be. And it's a lot like God's love. Give 100% in your marriage. Number eight, fight well. You're going to fight. It's healthy. It's healthy to fight. My wife and I are both strong personalities, boy. We fight sometimes. We do not see eye to eye all the time. But there's a right way to fight. And there's a wrong way to fight. Here's some advice about fighting well. Talk about now. Listen, don't go into an argument with your spouse saying you never and you always. Those are very hopeless statements. When somebody hears you always and you never, they feel hopeless. They feel like, well, if that's who I always am, what hope do I have to change? You can't process that. You can't work with that. It just makes things worse. Here's what you do, ladies, when your husband does something that's not considerate of you. You just say, you know what? When you did that thing, it really hurt me. Now you're giving your husband something to work with. He knows something he did. He knows something to address. Same thing, guys. Go to your wife and say, you know what? When you did this, it hurt me. And let her process that. Don't say always. Don't say never. It just plants hopelessness. Another thing about fighting well, people are always allowed to feel what they feel. Remember that. 
When your spouse is saying, I feel this, don't argue with them. You can disagree about actions, but you can't disagree about feelings. You, you have no way of knowing how or why they feel anything. So when your spouse says, I feel hurt, just agree. And then get to the place where you can talk about the stuff. But people are always allowed to feel what they feel. Don't threaten forever. Remember what I said about home being a safe place? Listen, there are times and the Bible gives us guidelines where divorce happens. When a spouse is unfaithful, the Bible doesn't say it's best to divorce, but the Bible says that you can. God understands the pain associated with that. But most of the time when we're thinking about divorce, it's not on biblical grounds. And it's, it's, not, it's not based upon what God is saying to us. Sometimes we just bring up divorce because we want to win the fight. Well, maybe I made a mistake. Right? Maybe that'll shut them up. Listen, you don't want to do that, guys. You're planting a landmine in the safety and security of your home. Don't say the D word. Don't say it. Fight about what you're fighting about now. Don't threaten forever. Because you want your home to be a place where you feel safe and you want your home to be a place where they feel safe. It's tempting to try to drop the mic, but don't do it that way. Don't trade it. And assume the best. When you're fighting, go to your spouse and say, you know, you probably didn't mean it that way. This is how I felt. You see how that changes things? You can fight, but there's a right way to fight that's not going to hurt your marriage. Number nine, honor your marriage and your spouse. Don't go to other people and talk bad about your spouse. We see these jokes, guys, like I've worked at different places. It doesn't happen as much in church as other places, but when I was working in the RV factory, my old lady this, my old lady that, my old lady this, my old lady that. Don't get into that talk, guys. Don't let people talk bad about your marriage. Don't let people talk bad about your spouse. Even if you don't agree with your spouse, defend your spouse. Honor your spouse. Honor your marriage. Ladies, don't go hang out for coffee and talk about all the ways you try to control your husband. Or don't go talk to all the ladies about how dumb your husband is and how much he doesn't get it. Honor him. It's only going to help your marriage if you do. And lastly, pursue reconciliation and redemption. Guys, this is what God wants. Sometimes it's near impossible to reconcile with someone and sometimes they won't have it. But it's what God is after because he sent his son Jesus so that we would be reconciled to him. So as best we can, we always want to try to reconcile. We always want to pursue redemption. We want to see what God can do putting broken things back together. And guys, I've seen some marriages that were just in the worst places. Where I saw a spouse be committed, where I didn't even expect it. They should or would. And I've seen those marriages just flourish beyond. God is in that, man. He likes redemption stories. So this morning as we reflect on this, guys, we have all made mistakes. 
I have made mistakes. You have made mistakes. Really, it's just the grace of God that has kept us from making more mistakes than we have. If your marriage is strong and together and healthy, guys, thank God. Like right now, just thank him for his grace in your life. Because we are all capable of being far more stupid than we are sometimes. As stupid as we are sometimes. And at the end of the day, all God wants from us is to move forward in the victory that he's given us. Listen, I'm not preaching what I'm preaching today so that you'll look back on your past and feel condemnation over bad decisions or to wallow in guilt from the past. God's not about your past. God is about your future. So where do we go from here? When you're talking to God this morning, here's the question. Where do I go from here? Who am I going to be today? How am I going to treat my spouse today? What am I going to do now? And if you commit to walk with God through the now and into the future, he will walk you through that future and he will give you victory. The past is not the point. The future is the point. Remember, your direction determines your destination. You can have the best intentions and screw everything up. But you have to make decisions. Some of the things we talked about today, you have to make decisions to follow through to walk out a godly marriage. And if you do, your destination will be where God wants you to be. Who are you gonna be to your spouse moving forward? You may be fighting right now. You may need to implement the three M's of marriage. You wanna know the three M's? Make up, make out, and move on. <laughs> Maybe right now you just need to look at your spouse and say, that thing we're fighting about, I know you didn't mean that. Let's go home. <laughs> right? Make up, make out, and move on. Maybe you need more help than that. You know, here at Four Points, we have marriage mentors. All you have to do is contact Jenny in our office, and we will connect you with a couple who's there to counsel and walk with you through Whatever you're going through, marriage mentors. Don't hesitate, guys, and don't feel ashamed. We all need it. It's never too late to let God work. Put God first. Make prayer a priority, guys. Prayer changes things. I'm excited about this prayer meeting we're doing on September 7th. Pray. Pray. The Holy Spirit can push down walls you and I can't push down. And here's what I know about you. We're sitting here right now receptive to the word of God, aren't we? And not everything God tells us is something we're ready to hear. God loves you. God is working in you. God is going to accomplish great things in you. God is going to accomplish great things in your marriage. God is going to heal you from the brokenness of your past. And your future is bright. Brighter than it's ever been. Because of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you're good and that you're faithful. We want to love like you love God, but sometimes we just don't. We've all made mistakes. But God, we're believing right now that in Christ, we have the victory. That you're pushing us forward into better things. 
to accomplish your work. Lord, I pray for your blessing over every relationship, over every marriage here at Four Points today, God. I pray for healing and blessing and strength and fulfillment and joy. Lord, I believe you're providing it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.